Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. Um, so yeah, so this morning, the cat is out of the bag. Um, I've cancelled Christmas. Um, we are looking at the priesthood. We're going to go back into the Old Covenant um, because, do you know what, if you know me, I am a little bit of a grump. I'm a little bit miserable. I don't like getting into um, happy moods like that. So we're going to look at priests instead. No, I'm, I'm only teasing slightly. I am actually quite miserable. Um, but I want you to see, actually, even in my misery, there is actually priests in the Christmas story. Now, we don't really think of the Christmas story as being full of priests, do we? So let's move that over here in a minute. I mean, I, don't know, I missed the nativity last week, but I'm not sure any of the children dressed up as priests. Um, I know in some nativities you get things like the Christmas lobster, um, the Christmas crab, all that kind of thing. So there's enough roles for all the kids to be able to do something. But priests... We don't really remember them in the Christmas story. They're not in the nativity scene. They're not in any of the Christmas films. No one puts a priest on top of their tree, do they? Um, and then it's just a weird thing, isn't it, priest? I mean, we, we have looked at priests quite recently as we went um, through some of our series in the last 12 months. But it's a bit of an alien concept, isn't it? We don't really have any priests in this room. We, you know, we're good um, evangelical Christians, we don't have priests uh, leading us. We have Sam, I guess he's the closest thing we have to a priest. Uh, more of a hermit, I'd say, than a priest. But um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. And if we think of priests, if we go on to our next slide, these are the guys we probably think of. Uh, Father Ted and his, uh, his friend Father Dougal and Father Jack. I guess that is quite a, an apt picture of the guys in the office, isn't it? I'll let you guess which is which. Um, it's quite interesting, though, isn't it, that um, we don't really understand what priests are. We have this idea that um, they're these kind of Roman Catholic guys who lead the church, but that's not the image of the priest I want you to have today. No, uh, we're going to be thinking about priests in the Old Testament, the kind of uh, the Jewish uh, Levitical priests, and we're going to be looking, how does that fit into the Christmas story. Well, the good news is Hebrews, where we're going to be camping out today, uh, gives us a little bit of background as to what the priests do. I mean, if you read there, it says, oh, I can't quite read at the back. I've just got new glasses. Well, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So the people of God in the Old Testament, um, they realize that there is this kind of uh, divide between them and God. They understand that, you know, they're a little bit broken. Uh, so they choose, um, they choose these priests to represent them, isn't it? To mediate before them and the Almighty God. We can, we can imagine that, can we? There's uh, two cliffs and there's this big divide. Uh, on one side, we've got the people. and On the other side, we've got God. So these priests are appointed um, on, the, on behalf of the people, uh, to represent, to mediate before God. Now, the other thing that Hebrews 5 tells us, um, looking at the passage, is that they offer gifts and sacrifices 
for sins. Now, that bit is a little bit weird, isn't it? I mean, we understand that as Christians, but in our circumstances, that whole thing is a bit weird. But effectively, what they would do is you bring your animal in. Imagine this morning if I asked you to bring your pets to church uh, as a nice visual demonstration. You bring your dog, you bring your cat, and I say, look, guys, um, you're broken. There's this, there's this division between us and God. So what we're going to do is we're going to kill all your dogs, kill all your cats, uh, and they're going to be an atonement for the fact that you're broken. You haven't lived up to God's standard. Thankfully, I haven't done that. I'm not sure I'd be asked to preach again if I executed all your pets um, this Sunday morning. But effectively, that's what the people would do. They knew there was this divide. They'd bring in the goat or the calf, and they would sacrifice it. And it didn't deal with the sin problem. It didn't deal with the fact that you know, God and the people are divided by this brokenness. But it kind of made a kind of a temporarily fix. It allowed the people to have access to God. Now, let's break that down so we kind of think about it in today's world, because none of us have ever lived under the old covenant. None of us are Jewish. None of us have been to the temple. Well, I'm, I'm assuming none of us have kind of worshipped in the temple and made animal sacrifices. Um, I don't really want to know if you have. Um, but we understand this idea of representation, don't you? So some of you might know my job. I'm a lawyer. You know, insert your own lawyer joke there, isn't it, I guess? Um, not yet. Um, we understand this idea, isn't it? So you might have had the fortune or the misfortune of being represented by a solicitor. Um, some of you looking at you may have been in the dock. Um, I'd imagine actually, no, let's uh, joke aside. Most of us have had a, a solicitor we, because we've had to buy a house or we're selling a house or you know, maybe we've had a contract we wanted looking over. We understand that idea, isn't it? So you get a solicitor, you get someone who is qualified, hopefully someone who is a specialist in their field, someone who is decent, and you pay them some money to represent you, to represent your best interests. That's an easy theme to understand, isn't it? We do it, actually, in all walks of life. So uh, when you go to the doctor, you go see a doctor, and he represents your health needs. So you go with a cold, probably not with a cold, but you go with something, and the doctor represents your medical needs. Mechanics. Uh, I had this misfortune on Friday. I had a flat tire. I had to get a new tire. Uh, mechanics represent us when our cars break down, isn't it? And they represent our needs when it comes to broken cars. So we understand this idea of being represented. Um, and that's what the priest is doing. The priest is representing the people to God. Now, let's go on to the sacrifice part. Now, this, this is a bit weird, isn't it? We don't really see this uh, in our day and age. But we do understand it to an extent, don't we? We understand that there is a divide between us and God. We understand that sacrifices need to be made, but we don't necessarily use a goat or a calf or a cow or a dog or a cat to kill uh, and sacrifice our sins. We try lots of different ways. We try and enter into our own priesthood. So, for example, you might try and sacrifice your time. You might think, oh, I know I haven't, haven't lived up to God's standard, so I'm going to maybe sacrifice my time and I'm going to maybe do something good. Maybe I'm going to volunteer in the food bank. And we need volunteers in the food bank, so please volunteer in the food bank. Um, but you might think that is the way that I'm going to sacrifice for my sins. That's the way I'm going to bridge that gap between me and God. You know, other things you might do is come into church. 
Maybe your religion is your sacrifice. You know, you could be doing something decent with your Sunday morning, but instead you come into church listening to me, listening to Sam and John and the other elders preaching. Maybe you go to prayer meeting uh, during the school holidays. You come to Rooted on a Wednesday. You sacrifice your time. Uh, Maybe that will make an atonement for sins. There's lots of things we do uh, as Christians and as non-Christians to try and kind of bridge that gap. The problem is it's quite dangerous because if we think about the old covenant, if we think of the priests of the temple, if we think of um, God's covenant to them, um, it's imperfect. I mean, look at those priests. Those priests are broken. Those priests are sinful themselves, um, yet they're representing broken people. That's imperfect, is it? Um, and we see that they need to continuously offer sacrifices. Why? Well, they need to offer a sacrifice for themselves because they're broken, and they need to offer a sacrifice for the people because they're broken. And the problem is, yeah, you guessed it, as soon as you've left the temple, you're probably going to mess up a little bit more. You're probably not going to live up to God's standards, so we're going to have to kill some more animals, and the cycle continues. But then the problem is that the priests are mortal, just like you and I, and they die. So we need more priests. So you've basically got this very messy picture of the priests constantly having to, you know, get a new priest, appoint a new priest, kill some more animals. We sinned a bit more, kill some more animals. The priest has died, get a new priest, kill some more animals. We sin, kill some more animals. And it just goes on and on and on. And that is the best option. And we don't even rely on that. We rely on doing it ourselves. And that's the worry, isn't it? Um, But the priest acts as a mediator. We sometimes try and act as a mediator. But um, the problem is, we are not privy to this covenant. We're not Jewish. um, So we're kind of left on our own. But, but there is good news, thankfully. That isn't, that's just a kind of context behind what we're doing this morning. The good news is, uh, this Christmas, uh, we're going to be thinking about Jesus. And normally we would think of the nice nativity, wouldn't we? We think of uh, Jesus lying in the hay in a manger. We think of the nice animals and the shepherds and the angels and all that. Um, And sometimes we uh, think of Christmas and we think we're living it live, don't we? I don't know if you ever get that feeling when you're kind of in church during the Christmas period and we're getting in the Christmas festive uh, mood. Sometimes it makes me think that Jesus is being born again because it almost feels like a live event. But the thing is, it's not, is it? We live 2,000 years plus since that day. So every Christmas, we don't live it live. We don't relive the nativity scene. But actually, we look back at it with a lovely thing called perspective. We see it in the context of the entire story. Isn't that fantastic? We can see the Christmas story within the story of God's big plan for humanity. That's what we're doing this morning. That is where the priesthood fits into the Christmas story. You see, we have Jesus, yeah, being born in a manger as a baby, but the perspective is we know what he comes to do as Christians. We know that he's going to grow up. He's going to live the perfect life. He's going to commit no sins. He's going to do these amazing teachings, amazing miracles, and then he's going to die on a cross. And here's a spoiler for you. He's going to rise again. Uh, I don't want to ruin that for Easter, but he is going to rise again, uh, and then he's going to walk around a bit, and then he's going to ascend into heaven, sitting next to his father. Now, Jesus is basically, if we look at Hebrews, the theme basically is that Jesus is our priest. Jesus is a better 
priests. So as we see the, the human priests in the Old Testament, they're broken, they're mortal, they need to continuously offer sacrifices. We're going to look this morning at a much better priest. So you don't need to rely on killing your pets. And the other good news is you don't have to rely on coming here every Sunday. You don't have to rely on helping out in the food bank. You don't have to rely on doing any of the other things that you might be trying to do to bridge the gap between us and God. Now, uh, to keep it on a kind of a law theme, um, if we go on to our next slide, we, uh, we pompous lawyers have a lovely little um, saying about people who try and represent themselves uh, when they're not qualified. So you sometimes find yourself in court and you see people um, who try and represent themselves in court. And they haven't had the training. They don't know how it works. So we say of these people, it's not very nice, is it? Um, the client who chooses himself as a lawyer is a fool. I'll say that again. The client who chooses himself as a lawyer is a fool. That's what we say. Um, I don't really say I don't go to court. Um, but that's what lawyers say about people who represent themselves. And I want to say that if you're relying on your own priesthood this morning, if you're relying on representing yourself to God, this is you. The client who chooses himself as a priest is a fool. Or the person who chooses himself as a priest is a fool. And I want to show you why you would be foolish, why it would literally be the worst thing you could do this Christmas if you are relying on yourself. And we do it. This is another spoiler. We are so guilty of this. Those of us who are Christians are the worst at representing ourselves to God. We, we kind of know the truth, yet we choose to represent ourselves. So this morning, we, as we think about the Christmas story, uh, I want us to think, what has that baby come to do? And what does that mean for you? What does that mean as you're in work, uh, or you're, you're staying at home uh, looking after your children, or you're kind of, oh, this is the worst one, isn't it? This Christmas, having to spend time with your in-laws. Now, I have to spend um, pretty much my entire year with the in-laws, so pray for me. Um, I live opposite my in-laws. No, I, I think it's a, a case of my in-laws having to live opposite me. Um, so we're going to consider then Jesus' priesthood in our lives. How can this affect us? So if we go on to the next slide, we're going to find, this is where we're going to be camping out, where, where Sam read from us this morning. This is where we're going to camp out this morning. Um, we won't be a long time. We're just going to have a little think about this Christmas. What can we be doing to be relying on Jesus' priesthood? Well, to do that, we need to look at Jesus' priesthood. Now, if you look through these passages, the interesting thing um, is the comparison of what Jesus' priesthood is like compared to the human priesthood. Now, we know that the human priesthood is broken. We know that the human priesthood is mortal. And we know that the human priesthood needs to continuously offer sacrifices. So, it won't surprise you that Jesus' priesthood is effectively the opposite. So, it's not broken. It's immortal. And there's only one sacrifice that is needed, not continuous sacrifices. So, we're going to look at that now. Um, if we look at this first bit, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. So we're talking about the law. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. So this bit here is probably the most important bit by which we draw near to God. That's what we're looking at this morning. How do you draw near to God? Now the former regulation, the law, whilst it's God's law, is good. The law is good. The problem with it 
is it's useless because the law doesn't do anything for us. In fact, the only thing the law does is show us how broken we actually are. It shows us that we can't live up to that standard. If you ever tried to spend a day just obeying the Ten Commandments, it's going to be probably the worst day of your life. It's just, I, I would imagine within like an hour of spending any time with my family, and that's not a reflection on my family, um, as my wife is staring up at me. Um, but if I spent just an hour with my family, I'm sure I'm going to snap at them. I'm sure I'm not going to be particularly loving. Um, things are going to happen. And within, within the hour, I will have broken probably half of those commandments. Um, and the Lord just highlights our brokenness. It highlights the fact that our relationship uh, with God is even worse than we could ever imagine. That's the problem. Sometimes we don't even realize that divide exists until we try and live up to that standard. And then we realize how far we've fallen short. And the problem with the law is this. The law enables to understand that our behavior is wrong. The law shows us that our behavior is wrong. So what it might do is it might change my wrong behavior to right behavior. I might be able to change certain aspects about me. So that's good, I guess, but it doesn't do anything to free my soul. It doesn't do anything to free the soul. It just changes a little bit of my morality. I mean, let's think about it practically. This is a serious point. Um, if, you're, if you're an alcoholic and you go a day without drinking, but that day you go without drinking is the worst day of your life because you're white-knuckling every minute of the day you're thinking about having that drink. That's what it's like to live under the law. I mean, we sometimes try and white-knuckle it with our sin. We say, I know there's certain sins in my life, and if I just try my hardest not to break that sin, if I try my hardest not to commit that sin, um, I'll be okay as a Christian. But Jesus attacks this, doesn't he? We're looking through Mark's gospel, and we're looking through, uh, through his life, and Jesus attacks this principle like this. Do you know what? Uh, committing adultery. Committing adultery is bad, guys, uh, and women. It's bad. Don't cheat on your wife. But Jesus says this, but here's the problem. If you've ever looked at a woman in a lustful way, if you've ever thought about another woman that's not your wife in, in a way that you shouldn't, you might as well have cheated on your wife. Now, that's not permission to go and cheat on your wife, but you see Jesus is exposing our hearts, isn't it? You might concentrate on that one little sin that you keep breaking, but the problem is it's a heart issue. As we try and concentrate on those minor little sins that we think are the issue, we miss the iceberg that is our broken hearts. You know, Jesus says the same thing about murder, doesn't he? Don't, don't kill anyone. Don't, don't murder anyone. We know that's true. But have you ever been angry at someone? I think most of you have been angry at me at some point. Well, Jesus is saying, you might as well have just murdered me. It's a root problem. It's a heart problem. So the law doesn't transform us. The law just exposes us and our brokenness for what it really is. And the painful reality that our relationship with Jesus can't be restored by our moral behavior. That's all the law does. It conforms us to a moral behavior. Um, and it's, it's, the thing is, we're missing out. If we think that we can just live a moral life, if we can just live a good life, if we can just try harder as Christians not to sin... We're missing out on what the actual Christian life really is. I mean, I think most of us have probably missed the point for large scales of our life as Christians. I mean, we try and cold turkey, battle temptation of sin, try not to commit sins. Um, but actually, 
That is not what Jesus asks us to do. Um, all it's done, all, it, all this has done is probably exhaust us. Being a Christian is exhausting because all I'm doing is trying not to sin. But Jesus says, I'm, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to have a heart transformation. And that's what he's come to do. Look, the law is weak. It makes nothing perfect, but a better hope is introduced. A better hope is introduced. Stop white-knuckling it. Stop going cold turkey. Stop trying to do it in your own strength. Let's look at this better hope that is introduced by which we can draw near to God. And that's amazing that we can even draw near to God. So if we go on to the next slide, we see a bit more of the passage then. Let's unwrap this a bit more about this better way of drawing close to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without an oath because he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of a better covenant. Oh, we see that first bit, isn't it? So the old priests, uh, they, they became priests without an oath. They didn't have to make an oath. Why? Because it was always intended that that priesthood would come to an end. Those priests were going to die anyway. The individual priests would die. But the priesthood itself was never intended to be God's permanent plan. So they never made an oath. But Jesus, becoming our priest... Stepping in, offering us this better way of drawing close to God, being a better representative, um, he makes an oath. Why does he make an oath? Well, it's here in this, in this prophecy here. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Jesus, you are a priest forever. That's an amazing thing. You've got to think about that for a second. So this better way of drawing close to God has been made with an oath. It's promised. We have such... Uh, assurity here, isn't it? Jesus is promising there's a better way. There is a better way to draw close to God. And you know what? I promise it. I'm promising this is the truth. I'm promising you this better way. I'm going to make an oath. And when God makes an oath, he does not break it. He's not going to change his mind. He is going to be our priest forever. Why can he be a priest forever? Because unlike those human priests, Jesus is forever. Jesus is immortal. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father forever. So actually, we've got this, this representative over here in Jesus who is amazing. He is promising to be our priest forever, and he has the ability to be our priest forever. He's not going to die. He's not going to break the law. He has lived the law perfectly. And because of this oath, Jesus has become a guarantor of a better covenant. Now, this is exciting. As a lawyer up here this morning... I couldn't have picked a better passage, really, could I? There's so much law coming out of this. Guarantor. Has it, I, some of you may have been guarantors. Uh, you might not know what that word means. Basically, this is an example of when guarantors are used. If you've got a son or daughter who's gone away to university um, and they want to buy a house, uh, not buy a house, they want to rent a house, uh, the landlord will take one look at your son and daughter, and they won't see what you see. What they will see is a bad bet. They will see a scrounging student with no money, wanting to rent a room off them, and all the landlord is thinking is, how is this person going to pay the rent? Um, so what landlords will do is they will insert within a tenancy agreement this provision for guarantors. So the bank of mom and dad, uh, one of you will be asked to become a guarantor for your son or your daughter. And effectively, you're saying, if little Johnny doesn't pay his rent this month, 
Mam is going to step in and you're going to pay that rent. And you're legally promising to do that. And if you don't pay that rent on behalf of little Johnny, we're going to come for your house and we're going to have it. And we're going to sell it at a very cheap price to get our money back. Um, and that is what a guarantor is in today's society. But Jesus is saying, I'm going to be the guarantor of this better way. He's going to be the guarantor of it. And when he looks at us this morning, do you know what he sees? He sees nothing but a bad bet. Imagine uh, this in a, in a case of going into the bank to ask for a loan. I'm going into the bank and I'm asking uh, for a billion, billion pounds. And the bank manager is going to take one look at me, particularly the way I'm dressed this morning. And I've got a bit of food on, on me from Dewey. Um, and I, I need a haircut. And I've got a lot of this kind of, I wouldn't call it a beard because that's offensive to people with beards. But I've got stuff growing out of my face. Um, the bank manager is going to take one look at me and say, nah, no way. No way. You are a bad bet. You are not good for this billion pound loan. But effectively, imagine it twisted around. I'm asking for the billion pound loan. And the bank manager himself knows I'm a bad bet, and he himself steps in to be a guarantor. So he knows I'm not going to pay it, so he's going to take that debt on himself. That is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is saying, I will be a guarantor for this new covenant. This new way that we can draw close to God, the way we can know God, Jesus is going to be the guarantor. If we go on to our next slide then, this is where it starts to get juicy as we start thinking about what this uh, will look like. Now, there have been many of those priests, now we've, we've spoken about this already, since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, and we've looked at that point, Jesus is immortal, um, he has a permanent priesthood. So what? Uh, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. This is the main thing of this morning I really want you to grasp. Jesus is making it possible for us to draw close to him because he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. So, we have the old priesthood. We have the imperfect old priesthood, which does nothing to deal with our brokenness. It does nothing to deal with the divide that exists between us and God. It just kind of papers over the cracks. But Jesus is saying, my priesthood, the way you will draw close to God in my priesthood, it's going to be completely. It's going to be completely, to the utmost, final. I'm going to draw a line underneath this. Isn't that, that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus will save us completely without stopping. So when you think, if you're in Jesus, how saved are you? But you're completely saved. I mean, think about it like this, isn't it? We, we know, I think, that we're broken. We know we don't live up to God's standard. Um, if we look at the prodigal sons um, in Luke's gospel, um, we can get quite offended, I think, sometimes when we look at that picture of uh, the younger son who goes out and embarrasses his dad. And he commits all manner of horrendous acts. 
Um, and as he comes back to the Father, the Father fully accepts him. And we so often find ourselves in the, in the shoes of the older son, looking at that grace and finding it offensive that sin is just dealt with. I mean, we're so quick to look at other people's lives and look at the things they do and are offended by Jesus' grace. Because grace is outrageous. Grace feels so wrong. Because as soon as you break God's law, what's the it's first thing that we feel we need to do? We feel like we need to make it right. We feel like I need to pay some sort of penance or I need to kind of just try harder or I need to do something to make up for this. And Jesus is saying, do you know what? I have dealt with it. I have sorted the sin problem. I've saved completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. I love this picture of grace that Jesus has shown us. Do you know what? We, we are so prone to go back to the law, aren't we? We're so prone to kind of work it out somehow. And Jesus is saying, don't bother. I've done it. And it's, it's this great illustration that I've heard um, a friend of this church, Pete Greasley from Christ Church in Newport. He, we think of it a bit like Oliver Twist. And as we break God's law, as we mess up again for the 50th time today, we mess up and we go with our cup, with our little bowl, and we say, please, Lord, can I have some more grace? And we, what we expect the picture to be is God to say, more grace, more grace. What have you done with the last grace I gave you? You've wasted it already. It was only two minutes ago. That's the picture I have of God sometimes in my mind. This idea that the grace is just going to run out. But that's not the picture. As we go with our, our bowl and we ask for more grace, God says, here it is. Here it is. You need it. I've got it. There's more grace than sin in you. More grace in God than sin in you. And why, why is this grace given to us? Because he always, always, that's the key one there, always, forever, permanently, lives to intercede for them. Jesus is praying for you this morning that you will persevere, that you will draw close to God through this grace, not through the law, but through his grace. And he is there. He's not, he's, it's not like Jesus is going to the Father and saying, come on, please, please give them more grace. I know they've messed up again for the 50th time today, but please give them more grace. And the Father thinking, oh, do you know what? Maybe not today. You've had enough grace. Maybe they've had enough grace. It's not that picture at all. It's not Jesus begging an angry father. It's actually a princely son sitting at the right hand of his father, a loving father. And as, G as the father looks at us, he sees the son, and he is delighted to give us more grace. And if we go on to the next slide, this is what we think of uh, this Christmas. We think of such a high priest in Jesus that truly meets our need. So that little baby in the manger is our high priest who truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. You know, unlike the, the other high priests, the human priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. Why? Because Jesus is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed 
himself. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses. But the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So why is this grace being poured out continuously? Why don't we have to revert back to the law? It's because the sacrifice has been made. Sin has been dealt with. That, that broken divide has gone. Jesus has bridged that gap. He hasn't bridged the gap, actually. He has got rid of the gap. So now we draw to God, not having to make a new sacrifice, not having to worry whether that sacrifice is good enough, not having to worry that once I've made that sacrifice, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to mess up. But we can be here this morning in Armonford Church, and we can know that Jesus has done it all completely. He's made the only sacrifice in himself that is required. His grace is being poured out upon us. So what is the point? Well, Christmas time is a, a really good opportunity for us to refocus our lives, isn't it? I mean, you can look back over the last 12 months and you can see where you've come from. Uh, you can see the good things, the encouragements. But you might also see things that let you down. You might see things that you wish hadn't happened. You may have seen things that um, disappoint you. I mean, think of um, in work. I, I love the fact we talk about it like this. We, we talk about our witness in the workplace, witness to the, the people who don't believe uh, in Jesus. I think sometimes we can confuse what that means. We worry that our witness is about our morality. I worry that my witnesses, oh, they're going to see me, and if they see that I snap at my co-worker, they're going to think, this Jesus is rubbish. And whilst we don't want to go into our workplaces and act as broken human beings and, and just be the worst people in the office, what we are witnessing is this amazing grace. So maybe you, you have snapped at a co-worker. Um, if they're anything like my co-workers, I love them to bits, but they do my head in. Um, you may have snapped. But the good news this morning is that your salvation hasn't been lost because of that. You, Jesus knows you're going to mess up. He wants you to come back to him, to be restored. He doesn't want you to kind of concentrate on those, those one-off sins. He wants your heart to be transformed. He wants your heart to go in a different direction. He wants your heart to desire him. So when you mess up, it's not about how rubbish you are. It should be about how amazing Jesus is. I mean, another one that surprises me is when Christians sin against Christians, isn't it? And we go, ah, oh, how have they done that? They're meant to be a Christian. They're meant to be a Christian, man. And I think, yes, they're broken people. They're relying on Jesus for their salvation and their transformation, and they're going to mess it up. They're going to do things to you that is rubbish. We suck at being humans. We're going to mess up, but Jesus can gently restore us in our grace. And then this morning, you might feel trapped in a particular sin. There might be something that you just keep on doing, keep on doing, and you're white-knuckling it. But the good news is, Yes, Jesus wants you to stop sinning, but he's not asking you to white-knuckle it. He's asking you to come to him. He's asking you to have a heart transplant. He doesn't want you just to stop committing one-off sins. He wants you to be transformed. And the way you're going to be transformed is not by trying your hardest, 
not by trying to be some sort of moral warrior. The way you will be transformed is by drawing close to God. Coming in his presence, you have full, exclusive access to God through Jesus' priesthood. So, as we come to that priest, there's no need to question whether you're accepted. Your sin doesn't disqualify you. If anything, your sin is your entry ticket as you rely on Jesus' grace. He wants broken-hearted people to draw near uh, and to be refreshed in him. So this morning, we are going to literally take an opportunity to draw close to Jesus. As, as we take the, uh, the cup and the bread this morning, we are going to be thinking of an active way in which we draw close to our God. Jesus has come in our brokenness. I'm just going to step down here a second. Jesus has come in our brokenness. And we know that he has come on the cross to pay that debt of sin, to deal with the divide that exists between us and the Father. And this morning, as we take this cup of juice, as we send the baskets around to the bread, what do we do? We remember the body. We remember the blood. It's an active remembrance. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's not just a thing we do where we remember what Jesus has done. It is an active participation in what Jesus has done for us. We actively participate in the sacrifice that our high priest has made. And as we think about that, uh, I'm going to read from John chapter 17, uh, the context being that Jesus is close to his death. He knows what he's about to do, and he is praying to his Father, and he prays, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him, Jesus, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those who have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We can know Jesus. We can know the Father this morning. And as we take this bread, as we drink this wine, we remember that sacrifice that was made. But more than that, we don't just think, isn't that, isn't that sad that Jesus died on the cross? No, we think, what glorious access we now have what have I given to this access? Nothing. What do I have to contribute to this access? Nothing. I just need to draw close to this God. We're going to take this bread. We're going to take this wine. And we're going to remember that sacrifice. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, 
check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.